0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: Of all deities, of all gods, and of all religions, you know who people have a problem with? Jesus. People don't have a problem with anything else. No one's ever mad about Buddha. People blow up buildings and kill people in the name of Islam, and people aren't that riled up about it. But you know what, you mention the name Jesus and it's all kind of problems. You go in a a group thing, you can say God, you can be religious, you can be spiritual, just don't mention Jesus. Why is that? Because Jesus is exclusive. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father except through me. Some people
0: go through phases. They go through a religious phase to find anything but God in their journey. They'll even find themselves in their false doctrines, and their focus is always on me, 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 and never God never Jesus Christ. The world seems to have a hard time believing that Jesus came to die for your sins. But today, Pastor Bill tells you that Jesus is the only one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter five for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: All right, if you're taking notes, and I hope you do, uh, we're gonna cover Revelation 5, I titled the message this morning, Worthy is the Lamb, and we'll see as we get into the chapter exactly why that is. But as you guys are turning to Revelation 5, if I could catch you up a little bit, um, the, the book of Revelation breaks into three parts, past, present, and future. We covered the past, which is chapter one, uh, an image of the glorified Christ. We covered the present, which was chapters two and three, the church age, as we looked at the seven letters to the seven churches and last week we began the portion of Revelation that deals with the future. Chapter four took us into heaven. Uh, we talked about how that the church is raptured, caught up to be with the Lord. Uh, then we're in heaven before the tribulation period starts. Uh, chapter five today is we're going to look further into what's happening in heaven. And then next week, we'll be jumping into the tribulation period and looking at what's going on there. But for today, we are in heaven. We can we pick up at Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Everybody got it? All right. It says this. John is speaking. This is the vision that the Lord has given him. And he says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And so here's the scene. The focus was on the throne and All that was going on around the throne, the angels were focused on the throne, the 24 elders were focused on the throne, there was worship going forth, now we get a glimpse of the one that's seated on the throne, and he has in his right hand a scroll. So we have God the Father here, there's a scroll in his right hand, but this is a unique scroll because it's written on both sides, and I want to explain that so we know what we're talking about here. Do I have any people here that do real estate by show of hands, real estate people, okay, if you guys can look at who's here, so if you need something, talk to them. So um, in the real estate world, if you're going to make a purchase of a property, you have to you have to know paperwork. You got to do titles and deeds and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know anything about it, but I do do... There's a gang of papers you got to sign and sign and sign and sign. You sign your life away 10 times, you know? So back in, in Jewish culture, they had title deeds as well. And in the Old Testament, if you were purchasing a property... You would purchase it. You would get the title deed. Let's say that you could no longer pay. Let's say you got into debt and you were going to lose your property. Uh, They would take your your scroll because they didn't have books or papers. Things were done in scrolls and it would be a seal put on it. Now, if you got your money right and you could come back and redeem your property, then you could pay and redeem it and the seal would come off. So this scroll that was written on the front and on the back is a title deed. Why is there a title deed in heaven? And what is the title deed to? Anybody have any idea? Okay, title deed to the earth. So, and let me explain what happened. So if you go back to Genesis 1:28, God had made man. God had made all the creation. God had put man in the garden of Eden. And in Genesis 1, God gave man dominion over the earth. He said to subdue it to tend it, to keep it, to multiply, to be fruitful in the the land, and God had given it to man. It was given to Adam. Now, Adam forfeited the title deed to the earth. Anybody know how he did that? When he sinned. So when Eve sinned, the Bible says that Eve was deceived and she ate of the fruit, Adam sinned willfully. He willfully disobeyed God and took of the fruit and he ate. And when he did that, he forfeited the land that God had said you have dominion over. He no longer had dominion over. He got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. God put angels in front of the, the tree of life so that they couldn't partake of it. And everything changed at that point. Now, the first Adam lost the title deed to the earth. Jesus is the second Adam, and he's going to redeem it all back for us. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So I just want to give that foundation so that We know what's going on. So the one that's sitting on the throne... It's a deed, it's a a scroll in his hand written on the front and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and that's what's being held up at this point in time. And so now look at verse 2. And and I guess I should say this before we move to verse 2. When we look at things going wrong in the earth, when we see things going poorly, people are often quick to credit it to God. They're like, look at if God was so powerful, how come that? Who's Who's in charge temporarily? Satan is. The Bible says in a couple places in Ephesians 2, it says that he's the prince and power of the air. He's been given freedom to move and to do his thing. It was forfeited. And so when you see things go bad, people be blaming God. You ought to say, well, that devil, that devil, something else. You know, we give God credit for all the bad things and and we don't give the devil credit for what he's doing. He's tearing up. He's why things are a wreck. Sin and Satan and the devil. How come there's disease and sick Because of sin. We're in a fallen world because men fell and sin brought all this brokenness into the world in which we live. And so be careful about tagging on God stuff that's really our fault because uh, we all sin and fall short of his glory. So I can't even look at Adam and be like, man, Adam and Eve jacked up everything because if you were there, you would have done it too. Y'all know that? Anybody here think if you were there, you wouldn't have ate the tree? I know somebody here is like, I don't think I would have, but I'm not going to raise my hand. You would have ate it. You would have ate it first. So, <laughs> They they were untainted, so you would have you would have ate it as soon as he left. So this guy is he gone? Is he, you would have ate that tree immediately. I've often wondered what the fruit looked like. You know, everybody says it, it is an apple, um, but I think it was like you know I think I think it might have sparkled. It might have it might have had neon lights coming out of it. You know, watermelon apple-sized watermelon something like that. So whatever it is, they ate of it, and you would have ate it too. So so moving on now. Oh also and. Matthew 4, when Satan was tempting Jesus, in Matthew 4, verse 9, it says that Satan took Jesus up and he showed him all the glory of the, of the world. He says, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll give you all this. And notice Jesus didn't say, you don't own that, because he did. He was, he, he had that to offer. He, Satan was saying, Jesus, I'll give you, I'll give you glory. I'll, I'll give you this without the cross. And it would have been a sad day for you and I if Jesus had taken that deal. Amen. Um, and Jesus didn't take it. He, he, you know, he rebuked him with the word of God, but he didn't say that it wasn't his to offer. It was his to offer at that point in time. And so that's why it needs to be redeemed back to the Lord. And, and that's what Jesus is coming to do in Revelation chapter five. That's what we're going to see. And so again, there's a, a, the, the one that's seated on the throne. He's holding a scroll written on the inside, and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Verse two now. Then I saw a strong angel, and it's careful to mention what kind of angel it was, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and the lucid seals? And just, you know, I want you to get the Lord's taking us to heaven. He's given us a glimpse of in the heavenly realm. It's a strong angel. I've told you guys before, whatever image you have of angels, you want to get, if you get an image of angels from the Bible, they're awesome creatures. They're, every time someone in the Bible saw an angel, their immediate reaction was to be afraid. And so these they're not some little chubby, you know, fat, white, fluffy thing that you see on the Charmin commercial. It ain't like that. These are awesome creatures. We see in Isaiah when they're explaining that they, they got six wings and with two they cover their eye, with two they cover their feet. And they just seem like amazing creatures. And here it says it was a strong angel. Uh, we know that these are angelic beings. They're, these aren't. They do war. They, you know, one can kill thousands, tens of thousands or whatever. And so a strong angel is in heaven and he's proclaiming with a loud voice this question. Who? Who is worthy to open the scroll and the lucid seals? That's the question of heaven. Who, who is worthy to do it? Now, here's the problem. Until this is, until the earth is redeemed, until redemption is done, we're in a bad way. And so this angel is proclaiming from heaven, who's worthy to do this? Someone has to be worthy to do it. And he's asking who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals. Verse three, it says, and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so as the question is being asked, no one's found, no one's able to redeem it. no No one's qualified to do so. Uh, for you guys that are familiar remember the book of Ruth, if you guys remember, in the book of Ruth, there was a woman that came from Boaz. She came back uh, to Bethlehem with Naomi after, she, you know, she lost her husband and her sons. And she got back into the land and she met a rich man named Boaz. And uh, it looked like a match made in heaven. Ruth was uh, widowed. She was poor. Uh, she was out there, you know, getting free food to give to her and her mother-in-law and Boaz ended up being qualified. He was a qualified person. So here's how it worked. If Boaz wanted to, you know, take her as a wife, there was land connected to her. And so he would have to, in order to redeem the land that her husband lost, he had to also take her as a wife and raise up offspring. With her, And so there was a man that was in front of Boaz that was the the nearest of kin. He was the first one that could have redeemed the land. And so Boaz was smooth and he knew he wanted roof. And so Boaz said, hey, bro, you're next in line uh, to redeem this land. I would like it, but if you're first, so I got to give you dibs first. And the guy said, I'll I'll take the land. He said, well, with the land comes this woman. and You got to raise up offspring for Elimelech, her husband, uh, for her husband who had passed away. And then he was like, no, nah, I got a wife and kids, and that would be kind of problematic, and now nah, you could have it. And I, Boaz knew that that would be the case, and so now Boaz was next in line, and he was able to redeem. He was a kinsman redeemer, and he took the land and the woman and raised up offspring. And so someone, you, anybody just couldn't redeem it. It had to be the right person. They had to come from the right family. They had to be qualified to do so. Well, with regard to redeeming the title deed to the earth, it's more than the family that you come from. Um, there's requirements. You needed to be perfect. Um, And we're going to find that there's only one that's been perfect. Amen. And and that's what we're going to see as we go through this in Revelation 5. So um, the angel's asking who is worthy. No one found worthy to open the scroll or the loosest seals. And in verse 4, John's response to the fact that no one was found worthy was this. It says in verse 4, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. If you look up that phrase, wept much, it means to sob, to convulsively cry out loud. And so you read that thing. Why is John so emotional over this? Why is this such a big deal? If no one can open this scroll or open the seals or look at it, where does that leave mankind? Unredeemed. That leaves us lost, it leaves us in a bad way. And John is John understands this, and so John is he's emotional, he's upset, he's convulsively sobbing over this. And so and I want I mean, I don't want to read those things too fast. Think about, you know, the different cries, right? Some of you guys may get emotional and just like shed a tear. Um, but think about how you have to be hit in the heart to sob. Like, I can't remember, I can't remember when I've sobbed, you know? I mean, I've cried. I, I mean, I usually cry over good things, you know? But I can't remember when something happened, why just, <laughs> you know, I just ugly cry, you know? Um, I don't, I can't think. I don't know that. I, I, don't, I can't remember. I'm sure when I was a kid, you know, to make my mom stop spanking me or something, you know. But, you know, I, I can't remember sobbing. And I, I just want you to get that. John is, you know, this is John. John's had a long life. John walked with Jesus. John was on the earth with Jesus as a disciple. John was the one at the foot of the cross where Jesus said, mother, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. He had experience in life and time with Jesus. He's been exiled to Patmos. He's getting this revelation from God. And and at the end of his life, he's an old man. He's in his 90s. And he's saying, what do you mean no one can? I mean, my whole life has been, a big chunk of my life has been spent following him and worshiping him. And no one's worthy. No one can get it. And so I mean, it'd be like living for Christ our whole life and getting to the end and saying, we're not going to heaven. I would cry. I would cry. I would sob. I would cry ugly and snot and slobber and everything else, you know. And so he's for right reason. John understands what's at stake. And so he sobs and he just uncontrollably he cries. He weeps much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Verse five says, but one of the elders said to me do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and the lucid seals. And so one of the elders there stops him, says, stop, you know, stop your crying, boy. He didn't say that, but he stopped him from crying. And he says, someone has been found worthy. And the first phrase we get is one of the messianic titles for Jesus. He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Um, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. These are both terms that that speak about Jesus Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah is mentioned in Genesis 49, 9 through 10, as the sons were were being spoken over. Uh, At that point, we see it in Isaiah and Hosea. Um, This was a title for Jesus, a messianic title. He would be the lion of the tribe of Judah. This other phrase, the root of David, interesting, right? Because David in one sense came through Jesus, but then Jesus would also come through David. And so how does that happen? Because Jesus is eternally existent. Jesus was, before Jesus was born of a virgin and lived at, at that point in time and, and came through David to, to fulfill prophecy, he preexisted, amen? He was here in Genesis saying, let us make man. He was here in the very beginning. And so Jesus is also the, the root of David. We see that in Isaiah eleven ten, and also later in Revelation 22. And so we get these two titles that tell us about the Messiah that was to come, that's already come. The elder says, don't we behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And so we get the, the answer that's being found in heaven is Jesus. As the question is being raised, who can do it? No one can do it but Jesus. And we should remember this about Jesus because there's some things that he can do that nobody else can do. And I believe that this is why of all deities, of all gods, and of all religions, you know who people have a problem with? Jesus. People don't have a problem with anything else. No one's ever mad about Buddha. People blow up buildings and kill people in the name of Islam, and people aren't that riled up about it. But you know what? You mention the name Jesus, and it's all kind of problems. You go in a a group thing, you can say God, you can be religious, you can be spiritual, just don't mention Jesus. Why is that? Because Jesus is exclusive. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, in the life, there's no way to the Father except through me. Um, I'm careful not to just kind of, you know, be vague about God. Like, oh, I just love God. No, I love Jesus. Um, I want to be clear on who he is. And so, and this is, this is why. He's the only one that's worthy to open the scroll. Oh, no, one, no one's able to redeem you and me but Jesus. There's no way you and me get to heaven and escape hell except Jesus. Amen? Amen. Bible says there's, there's salvation in no other name. Uh, He has a name above all names that his name we'll see in a little later. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. There's something unique about Jesus that's not true about anybody else. And that's why people have an issue with Jesus name. When people curse, no one ever says Buddha, you know, no one says, you know, Muhammad. They say they use Jesus Christ. They use his name as a cuss word. Why is that? He's the only one that there's a problem with. There's no attack on other things. There are things, when I look at it from a practical standpoint, I would think there would be an issue with a religion where people are blowing up, folks. I think people would be a little more stirred up about that. We live in a world where they'll defend that, but they still come against us. We ain't blew up nothing, you know? It blows me away, but it's, it's spiritual. There's something behind that. And so I think part of what's behind it is that he's the one. He's it. He's the only one that can, that can open the scroll. He's the one that's going to redeem, that's going to save And so there's there is an attack on Jesus that is not found anywhere else. And so now verse six, it says, and I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so in the midst of the throne, so we're in the heavenly scene. Again, in the midst of heaven, there's the throne. There's the one that's on the throne. In the midst of the throne, there's the angelic creatures, the four living creatures. And in the midst of all the elders that are there, in the right in the middle of everything, you got a lamb. The word for lamb here is interesting. It's a pet lamb. And in Jewish culture, the, the Jews, they would actually take a, a pet lamb and the family would have the lamb in their home as a pet. And it would be kept until there was a ceremony with a lamb. That lamb that had been a pet would be taken and sacrificed. I want you to think about that. Anybody got kids in your house? Imagine bringing home a little fluffy lamb. Lambs are cute. They just go, bah. you know, they got little fluffy white, you know, like it's like nappy hair, but it's fluffy and white, you know, and, um, and they're just, it's nothing, nothing rough or difficult. They just, they're just cute, Right. And God said, that's the animal that I'm going to use as a sacrificial animal. Just it's innocent. I want a perfect lamb. It's got to be spotless. There can't be any defects, any problems with it. It's got to be a spotless lamb. Perfect. But he would have them raise it. It'd be raised up in your home and it'd be brought as a sacrifice later that this innocent, this innocent little lamb that's done nothing wrong is going to be sacrificed. And in the Old Testament, it was a picture of what was the coming Jesus. Jesus would be that lamb. Amen. The perfect, holy, sinless lamb of God. Innocent done nothing wrong, broken no commandments, never sinned yet, he would be brutally murdered on a cross on our behalf. And so here he says that he looked in the midst of everything and he saw this little pet lamb. But it, it was not, it was a little pet lamb, but it, he could see it as though it had been slain. So it, it looked like it had been killed. All the, all the markings of, of death were on it, but it was there in the midst of everything um, as though it had been slain, but it was there. And that's this is a reference to Jesus. Jesus is a lamb that's been slain, yet he still lives. Amen? And I, I've heard this said, someone said that the, the only man-made thing in heaven are going to be the marks, the scars on Jesus. And I and I, I, don't, I just, you know, as I read this and I'm looking at you see the lamb as though it's been slain, I wonder what the impact will be that we would see, you know, what our sin costs. We would see what it's done but John is here in this vision of heaven and there's everything going on, all the, all the stuff around the throne. But in the midst of everything, he sees this lamb as though it has been slain. And, and we get these, these descriptions. It, has, it says seven horns. Horns are symbolic of authority or power. Seven is the number of completion. The idea here is that it had complete power complete authority, has seven eyes. It didn't literally have seven eyeballs. Eyes are, eyes are insight. Eyes are, are, are all seeing. We know that he's all seeing. He has perfect sight, knows everything. Uh, these are attributes of God. It has the seven spirits of God. We saw this in Revelation chapter one. We, seen it, we saw it in one of the letters to the seven churches. It means that the full working of the Holy Spirit, it's not seven individual Holy Spirits, just the full working of the spirit of God that are sent out into all the earth. And John is getting this vision, this image of Christ that's there. And all the focus is on the lamb, the lamb that's been slain. So here's something we can take away from this as we read this. As we study Revelation, God's unveiling himself. If I look at heaven and see that, man, the focus of heaven is who? What does the focus seem to be? Jesus. That's the focus. Everybody's attention. It's in the midst of everything, Jesus. And if we do this thing down here right, then when we gather as a church, the focus will be who? Jesus, the lamb that's been slain. It'll be the focus. It'll be what we talk about the most. It'll be what we think about. It'll be who we sing about. It'll be the focal point. It'll be the unifying factor of the church. That's what the church is. When we gather together, that's that's the main thing. That's why we're saved. That's why we're going to heaven. So we got to be careful that sometimes when we look at the church and how divided and messed up things are, people have made the church into a lot of other things. Uh, People can make the church about social issues. People can make the church about race. People can make the church about, you name it, um, people will gather and have a church and the focus will be something else. Whenever you do that, the church starts to divide up in ways that are not God's will. But the focus of the church when we gather, the focus is Jesus, then there'll, there'll be something that unites us that's very powerful because at the foot of the cross, we all need the exact same thing, Amen. If we come to the foot of the cross, I don't care who you are, where you came from, what your background is, how grimy your life or your past used to be, we equally need, we equally need to be at the foot of the cross. We all need to be forgiven. And some of us, you know, have fallen farther than others, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you was on crack and you killed 10 people and you kicked the dog, and if, if somebody else was, you know, a businessman, pretty moral, but don't know Jesus, we come to the foot of the cross, we need the same Without the blood of Jesus, neither one of us makes it.
0: We know there are many ways that you can spend your day, but we're delighted that you chose to spend time with us today here on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Revelation. There are a variety of things addressed in this book. There are letters written to churches, lots of imagery and prophecy. And the best part? a coming king who will reign supreme. Don't you just love a good story? Where good overcomes evil? Jesus is the ultimate in this, bringing good and restoring all that's broken and lost. What a wonderful Savior! How do you engage with the book of Revelation? Is it scary to you? Is it confusing? Is it inspiring? We'd like to help you through what you're thinking as you're listening to these messages. Our number is 310-245-4811. Feel free to give us a call. We'd love to connect with you, just in case you missed it. That number is 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry based out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Would you come visit us? Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area... You can live stream our service on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today is about up, but please join us again for the next edition as God continues to reveal His plan for the world and for us. On behalf of Pastor Bill and the rest of the production team, thanks for being a part of A Transforming Word.